We welcome you on this grand celebration of Zion Day. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. We are anticipating a great time as we share in worship and the preaching of God's word. If you were an attendee by way of virtue of our revival, you knew that we not only had great preaching, but we had great music ministry as well. So we're looking forward to being blessed with the music ministry continuously on today as well as the preaching ministry of Dr. Charles Goodman, pastor of the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. So we invite you to sit back, be blessed, as we enjoy this grand time of celebrating 129 years. Amen. Come on, y'all, put your hands together.
Good morning, Greater Little Zion Baptist Church friends, family, and guests. Thank you for joining us for our 129th virtual church anniversary services. Here are our announcements. Come join us on October the 31st at Greater Little Zion from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. for our fall bounty food distribution. This is a great way for us to give food out to our community and those that are in need during these times. On Wednesday nights, join us for prayer meeting at 6 p.m. and virtual Bible study at 7 p.m. We also enjoy and invite you to come out to our Sunday schools, Youth and Young Adult Sunday School on Saturdays at 10 a.m. and Adult Sunday Schools every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. Make sure you join us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. We thank you so much for joining us for this celebration today and hope that you enjoy the rest of service. Be blessed.
Thank you so much for joining us for service, and we pray that you are enjoying it as much as we are. Here is our introduction of the speaker, Reverend Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr. Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr. celebrates 13 years as the senior pastor and teacher of the historic Tabernacle Baptist Church of Augusta, Georgia. Under his dynamic leadership and vision, one church in multiple locations was birthed and now encompasses 10,000 worshipers across eight weekly services, with five occurring on Sundays. Understanding the value of education, Dr. Goodman received his undergraduate degree from Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with honors. He went on to earn a Master of Divinity degree from Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia and his Doctor of Ministry from Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. An avid learner and pupil of excellence, he also learned a Master of Management degree with a concentration in organizational leadership from Cambridge College. Dr. Goodman also values giving back to others as he serves on several community boards as an adjunct professor and mentor at institutions of higher learning and has even preached and studied in the Holy Land. He is a content contributor to many ministry publications concerning ministry methodologies and contemporary preaching and has authored four books you can't run from purpose road to recovery the flip side of favor and it's complicated a native of greensboro north carolina pastor goodman comes from a faith-built foundation demonstrated to him by his grandparents deacon ernest and mrs charlotte swan who raised him Affectionately known as PJ by his congregation, he is a well-respected in his community and one who lives to serve. Amazed by his grace and love, Dr. Charles E. Goodman Jr. is a most sought-after speaker, revivalist, and lecturer who is called upon to empower and encourage the people of God as he travels the word proclaiming the word of God in practical and applicable ways. After one more song selection, we will be blessed to hear the word from Dr. Charles E. Goodman, Jr. Anybody know we serve an amazing God? Anybody know that what Jesus did for us on Calvary was amazing? Anybody glad for Jesus? Come on, right where you are, just lift up your voice and say something sweet to the Lord. Come on, if you're just grateful for Jesus. An amazing God didn't give up when all lost hope. An awesome love took the fall for all my sins, incredible you are, Alpha and Omega, shouldn't have made it this far, but you thought of me and gave me your all, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, hallelujah. 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 H
greetings to the greater little Zion Baptist Church there in Fairfax, Virginia. Once again, to our friend and our brother, Dr. James T. Murphy. We greet you with the joy of Jesus Christ, and we celebrate with you 128 years that God has graced you as a ministry. And we once again know that these are difficult and even uncertain times, but we still trust the sovereignty and the power of God. Once again, this is a high holy day for you guys. Any moment that you get to celebrate an anniversary, another year of making impact, and even in the midst of a global pandemic, we still see God's hand upon you. And once again, I am grateful for this wonderful opportunity to share the Word of God as you commemorate and celebrate not only what God has done, but what we believe God will do through us. Once again, I bring you greetings all the way from Augusta, Georgia, where I am just so honored to be able to serve as the pastor of the Tabernacle Baptist Church. And we, once again, are celebrating with you. Let us pray. God, we thank you and we love you. We honor you. And as we celebrate this momentous occasion, and even though, God, we are doing this virtually, God, we appreciate your presence and your spirit that convenes with us even in the midst of cyber church. Once again, God, I pray that you bless the greater little Zion Baptist Church. We thank you for their capable and efficient leader, Dr. Murphy. And it's our desire, God, that you continue to lead them to higher heights in you. And as we prepare to share the word of God, it is our hope and our prayer that someone be impacted, that something be said that will reinvigorate and encourage this wonderful body of believers. This is our prayer in the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As we're sharing today, I want to direct our attention to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. As we think through this whole notion of church anniversary, I'm always uh, grateful to be a part of these celebrations and, and how powerful they are because they remind us not only of how far we have come, but also it reminds us of how much further and how much greater work we must do. Here in Joshua chapter 5, a very pivotal passage of scripture that is once again uh, very powerful in the fact that it commemorates a very transitory moment in the life of the children of Israel. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And this is what the Word of God says for us today. Right there, beginning around verse 8 in Joshua chapter 5, it says these words. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. For a few moments, as we celebrate this momentous occasion, I simply want to challenge us and encourage us with this simple thought today. I want to talk about you got to change to get this blessing. You got to change to get this blessing. Change is inevitable as we begin to think through life. <laughs> For many of us, over this span of 2020, we can say that change is one thing that seemingly has enveloped us. As we've had to deal with a global pandemic, as we've had to once again wrestle with social and racial injustice, not only from a corporate standpoint in a nation, but even individually. 
as we've seen things shift. Who would have thought that seven months ago our life would be turned upside down? Things we took for granted before now are pleasures that we wish we had readily available upon us. And with that being said, I think for many of us, if we think through it, it has been inconvenience. And in the midst of all of that, as much as we've had to navigate through, there's one thing that we can understand, and that is that for all that we know, one thing is certain, that life is uncertain. That there will always be ups and downs, there will be highs and lows. And how you navigate these, uh, these moments of tension, these times that don't always seemingly make sense, but somehow in the trajectory of it still trust the sovereignty and the power of God. With that being said, I want to suggest that these moments, as tough as they can be, these transitory seasons, as rough as they can be, I, I really believe that they begin to provide insight for us because it allows us to understand that many times God upsets our equilibrium because he's trying to move us from good to great. I, I know that it's hard right now and perhaps in the midst of all that we're going through, it's hard for us to try to find the good, the silver lining in what we are experiencing, especially even in the church realm. We're trying to reconcile being virtual, trying to feel about when can we gather again. There is this whole notion of all that is taking place. But one thing that I've learned is that the thing that this has caused us to understand is that life will no longer be the same. And some of the things that we took for granted that in the next normal that God has for us, we won't take for granted as much and perhaps in the midst of this uncertain season this moment of that seemingly is tearing us apart could be in the same way God is trying to bring us closer and also trying to take us where God wants us to be it is in the uncomfortable moments it is in the transitory seasons that I believe that God is getting the best out of us you don't believe me? Just take the life that we see in our text as we are traversing and journeying with the children of Israel. It has been uh, quite an interesting history for them. I mean, if you think about where they started in Genesis as they were the legacy of Abraham, you see them as then uh, as they once again become these favored people from Isaac and Jacob and then, yes, even ultimately through the person that we know as Joseph. But then uh, Exodus comes and they find themselves in captivity for 450 years. I mean, in that place of oppression. And in that place of pain, somehow God multiplied them, God strengthened them, and God gave them a liberator by the name of Moses. God brought them out of Egypt only for them to languish and to have to wander in the wilderness for 40-some years. I mean, if you add 450 and then you add 40, now what we see as we enter into the book of Joshua is now they get ready to claim the promises of God. But it was not without some pain. They lost. Moses. They had to endure a change of leadership. Not only that, they began to face things that were beginning to be difficult. They had to cross over a Jordan River and through all of that now they were being positioned to find themselves into the promised land of God. For all the years that they had to endure from slavery, from wandering in the wilderness, change of leadership, now ultimately they're at the place where God has meant for them to be. 
But when we get to Joshua chapter 5, it's intriguing because right here as they're getting on the cusp of enjoying what all Canaan has to offer, there's some things that God has to make sure that they are settled in and that they have got some maturity about before he can bless them like he really wants to bless them. And we begin to see in Joshua chapter 5 what their ultimate issue was, is that before they are to embrace the promises of God, there were some things that God had to make sure they were prepared to receive. And I think that all of us from time to time can imagine what life can be like, that oftentimes we're there on the cusp of God's great blessings, trying to figure out what is God up to next, when the truth of the matter is many times the delay that we experience, the thing that's hindering us is not some external issue. But what if I told you just like Israel found out in Joshua 5, their greatest enemy was their inner me. And sometimes what we see in this passage of scripture that begins to be highlighted in our own lives is that perhaps before God can move us, before God can shift us, before God can transition us where he wants us to be, before he can transition us externally, he has to transition us internally. And that's the thing I want to share on this 128th church anniversary, maybe in the midst of all that's going on, God has great destiny. God has great blessings in store for you and I. However, he understands that our work will be in vain if there's some things that are not willing to shift and change in order to embrace all that God has for us. That's my simple aim today is that as we look at this particular passage, what we see is a change, a transformation taking place in the life of Israel. And because of this transformation, they received the blessings God has for them there. They experienced this move from good to great there. They experienced you know, letting go of their past in order to embrace their future. And maybe that's the word that God has for greater little Zion. As great as 128 years have been before, what if I was to prophetically declare that the next 128 are going to be even greater. What if God is saying, I'm ready to shift you and transition you. However, I need some fundamental things to be put in place in order for you to embrace everything that I have for you. That's my simple task on this sermon today. I want you to understand that God is getting us where God wants us to be. And God will, yes, sometimes use pandemics. Yes, God will sometimes use injustice. Yes, God will sometimes use crossing Jordans and losing our Moses in order to put us in the place of embracing what God has for us to have. And I want you to know, I know that it's rough right now, but better is still ahead of us. And when we and I can get to the position to understand that better is ahead of us, then we will do what is necessary to embrace that change. That's what we see here. There's a few things I want to lift up out of this passage, a few things that I think that this text is tailored to teach us today. There are a few moves, if I was to once again highlight some of the things in Joshua 5, I believe is important for us to ponder, to think through, and to also apply to our lives. The first thing that I want you to note here in this passage of Scripture, how this change has to take place in Israel's life before they can get the blessing, is that number one, why God allows these moments to happen is in order to position us in his presence. Uh, that's the crucial part of this text. Matter of fact, verse 8 outlines it this way. It says that Joseph, Joshua had to go uh, and tell the men that they had 
to be circumcised. Circumcision, my brothers and sisters, was an important aspect of one's covenant in the Abrahamic covenant. Matter of fact, I know it sounds pretty odd, but, but why would God consider covenant to be something that proves one's righteousness, proves one's relationship with God? Well, understand that God knew that in order for covenant to be made, there had to be a shedding of blood. So on one hand, when one gets circumcised, it's the shedding of blood. But there were some practical things about circumcision because whenever you study scripture, you must put into the proper context why God does what he does in order to prosper and grow the nation of Israel. Well, understand that in the beginning, for many of them, they were small. They, they were a band of people that were coming together trying to formulate what would become a nation. So God had to be peculiar. God had to be specific. God had to make sure that he was trying to keep the people protected. He knew that until they got themselves in the proper position, until they sanctified places that even might be considered private places, that unless those private places were free from flesh, then the people could not prosper. Why do you say that? Well, understand what circumcision does. It's the cutting of foreskin. It literally means that that now there is a free way for them to be able to reproduce. Reproduction was crucial because without reproduction, the people would not grow. So God understood I had to get rid of everything that potentially could hinder your growth. But it's not just that, but also understand that that area was also considered an area that could be full of bacteria. Unless it was dealt with properly, that individual could, in essence, be able to infect other people. In other words, what also could prevent their growth was that if they did not mind the, the things that they were carrying, it could infect other people that they were connected to. I see some practical application there because I believe that you and I must be careful that if we do not deal with the things that could hinder our growth, that could hinder us from contaminating others, it could once again impede our relationship with God. And I know what some of you are saying, well, preacher, that, that sounds a little odd, but God understood that he needed to make sure that everything was out of the way in order for them to be closer to God. That's why, my brothers and sisters, God makes sure that we maintain the level of our flesh. He wants to make sure that there is nothing hindering us from getting closer to God. And you're asking a question. In those days, there was no hospitals. There was nothing that they could utilize that would in our day be considered sanitary in order to handle the circumcision. Well, what if I told you that in those days what they would do is that in order to provide circumcision, what they would do is that they would literally have a sharp rock that they would use that would be able to satisfy them cutting their flesh. In other words, it was a bloody rock that provided circumcision. And I'm here to tell you that I'm not just talking about in today's age uh, some uh, bloody rock per se as some strong flint stone. But what I'm saying is that we have a bloody rock by the name of Jesus. That when we are honest about our condition and honest about our status, watch this. What God does is he allows that bloody rock, our Savior, to be able to get rid of everything that hinders us from being closer to God. That that's what's so intriguing about this passage. Here, notice what they must do. They must be circumcised. But there's also something this text opens our eyes to. 
It's a mere fact that when we look at this passage of Scripture, we also note that these were grown men being circumcised. Now what makes us pinpoint this in the passage is that typically circumcision takes place on the eighth day after the male child has been born. That's what happens early on in their existence. Eight days after birth, they would be circumcised. But these people have been wandering in the wilderness. They had forgotten their promises and their covenant with God in the wilderness. So here they are on the precipice of moving into the promise. And God says, listen, I need you to be circumcised. These were grown men having to do something that they forsake in their youth. And I think there's something for us to lean in and ponder because literally what God was saying is that Joshua, unfortunately, one of the things that hinder people from staying close to me is that they have not dealt with stuff that they should have dealt with in their youth. That there's some issues, there's some fleshy things that, that, that they had allowed to fester while they wandered in the wilderness. But God says, I need you, as you're getting ready to move into the promise, be able to understand that even though you could have dealt with it a long time ago, because I'm a gracious, benevolent God, I'm going to give you space now to get it right so that you can move where I want you to move. I know for many of us, and we'll be honest, that really the struggles that we face, a lot of things that can hinder us from being close to God is stuff that we fail to deal with from some time ago. But one thing I love about God in His grace is that even though we're older, even though we try to be more mature, God can still allow us to deal with stuff that we should have dealt with some time ago. That's what the text says. Not only to deal with this whole notion of being sanctified in order to position them, but also note this passage that he also allowed them to have a moment or a season of stillness. The text is clear. They rested in the camp until they were healed. This was huge because in order for circumcision, this was considered major surgery in those days. It hurt to get cut. But here's something I need to drop in your spirit. If God can't cut you, he can't trust you. But if the truth be told, I appreciate the wisdom that they apply in this moment because the wisdom is simply this. Once you've been cut, you need to rest. I wonder how many of us, if we'll be honest, in such a fashion of trying to move to the next thing, oftentimes are bleeding in the next season because we haven't healed from the season we're in. I wonder how many of us are bleeding in the next relationship because you ain't healed from the other relationship. How many of us are bleeding in the new church because we haven't healed from the old church? Here is the wisdom my grandmother would apply to this passage that once you've been cut, you need to sit still. Allow yourself to heal. Allow yourself to marinate in this moment. Do not be in such a rush that you fail to get yourself in the proper place of restoration so that God can surely show you what he has for you. I know there's someone right now listening to me and you're thinking to yourself, I, I feel you, PG. I, Lord knows there's some stuff that I rush through. And even as a body of believers, even as a church, sometimes we can be in such a rush that we do not allow ourselves to marinate in the restorative power that God grants us. Here in this passage of Scripture, the first thing that had to happen was they had to be positioned in His presence. Because at the end of the day, God's cutting of us 
is not something that we should view as negative. But what if I told you that God's cutting of us is so that we can fit what he wants us to be? And at some point, as a leader, and some point as a church, we must be okay with the cutting hands of God. And I know about you, but I think about my own life. I think about the church that God has allowed me to lead over the last 14 years. And most of our growing comes when we've been cut. That's what we learn even as Jesus let them know about this whole notion of moving from fruit to more fruit. When you read John 15, when he talks about I am the vine, he simply suggests to us that in order for us to get better, in order for us to grow, in order for us to produce more, there has to be some cutting. Notice in our text that in order for the people of Israel to be able to get closer to God, there had to be some cutting. I know, I know. It's some weird math God does. He adds by subtracting. He multiplies by dividing. That's what we see in our text. And this change oftentimes comes and we're not always looking for it. We don't always see it as a positive, but God positions us in his presence because he wants to deal with the holiness that we have in our relationship with God. But the second thing I see in this text is not only does he position us in his presence, but also watch this, he purges our perception. Because not only is God trying to deal with our flesh, he also wants to deal with our mind. Oh, let's be real about it. Oftentimes, the greatest battlefield of our faith is our mind. And that was explored here as now God speaks to Joshua. He said, all right, the men have been circumcised. All right, y'all are getting closer to me. But there's a barrier that's there. And the barrier was that the people had some shame. The people had a mentality that was so faulty that it could ultimately destroy them in the promised land. So he tells Joshua, I need you guys to deal with your mind. What, what do you mean? What is it about this mind? Well, first of all, we must note where they are. The text tells us they're in a place called Gilgal. Gilgal simply means the place that's been circled around. Matter of fact, the time that we've seen this before is in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua 3 and chapter 4, you'll note that Gilgal was a place where the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan River. This is a significant moment because this was a time where God proved his ability to the nation of Israel as they were progressing from the wilderness to the promised land. But the one final barrier that was hindering them from getting into the promised land was the Jordan River. Jordan River, my brothers and sisters, whenever you see it in Scripture, always symbolizes separation. It also symbolizes death. So here they are, just being emancipated from the wilderness, but they've got to cross over the Jordan to get in the promised land. And the Jordan was not some small body of water. Matter of fact, if you go back and read the narrative in Joshua 3 and Joshua 4, it tells us that this season that they were at the Jordan was the high flood season. It was more overflowing than normal. And so you can imagine that here they are, there's no life rafts, there's no bridge to cross, and now they've got to figure out how do we get to the other side by crossing over this body of water. I can imagine that, that while they stood on the banks of the Jordan, 
There were some people that started murmuring. I can tell perhaps they probably started looking at Joshua expecting him to do with what they heard Moses had done before because this was not the first time that the children of Israel had faced a body of water to cross. When they got emancipated out of Egypt, found themselves in the Pahara when they had the Egyptian army behind them, they saw God do something miraculous. God, through the power of his spirit, when Moses lifted up his staff, then guess what? God blew on the water and they crossed over. I can imagine there were perhaps some people who had heard that story when I'm looking at Joshua, expecting Joshua to do what Moses did. Just lift your hands, watch God blow on the water. But what they didn't understand is just because this looked the same, God was going to shift his strategy. He'd already told Joshua, this is how I want you to cross the Jordan River. I need you to tell the priests to put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And this time, I need you to walk in the water. When they walk in the water, then the water will recede. See, when the Red Sea miracle happened, it was God moving before they moved. But at the Jordan River miracle, they would have to move in order to see God move. Let me help you. Because I know there's someone there at Great Little Zion that's perhaps standing on the shores of the Jordan River, but you're expecting a Red Sea miracle. You're expecting Moses' hands to go up and God to blow on the water. But what if I told you uh, that this is not the season to be reactive, but perhaps this is the season to be proactive. Maybe this is the moment where God is saying, I don't want you to wait on me, but this is the season I need to know how strong is your faith. Are you willing to put your feet in the water what if I told you that in order to see miracles happen in this season uh, in 2020 and beyond uh, he wants to know who's willing to have some muddy feet muddy feet as they began to wander in the water is what caused them to open up. It's what allowed them to experience this moment of crossing the Jordan. It was not them waiting on God. It was literally them, um, God, waiting to see if they'll be willing to move. I wonder who there listening to me today is thinking that same way. How many of us have been praying prayers but haven't stepped in the water? How many of us have been expecting God to do something, but haven't stepped in the water. How many of us are, are saying, God, if this would just happen, but have not yet stepped in the water? What if I told you uh, that in order to experience the next miracle of God, it's going to be about how much you are willing to put your feet in the water? I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina, and so I was raised by my maternal grandparents. My grandfather, who passed away in 2008, still the greatest human being I've known, i never forget when I was a junior in high school, my grandfather, after working 40-some years at Southern Optical, got a job as a clerk at a local grocery store. The local grocery store was around the corner from my house, and the grocery store was called Bilo. So when it was his first day, I had the privilege as his grandson to go drive him and drop him off on his first day of work. He had on his little apron, his little khaki pants. I can still see him to this day. Little Botso hat that he always wore. And as I pulled up to the front of the store, I let him out. He told me his hours and when I could come back and pick him up. As I dropped him off, I was going to drive off until I looked back in my rearview mirror and I saw my grandfather standing on the sidewalk. He wasn't moving. He seemed perplexed. So curiosity got the best of me. I, I 
put the car in reverse, and I rolled up next to my grandfather. And I said, Granddad, what's the problem? He said, Charlie, I'm not sure how to get in the store. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I see the doors, but I don't see no handles on the doors. I don't see nothing that says push or pull, and so I'm confused about how to answer or to get in the store. I started chuckling out loud to my grandfather. I put the car in park. I got out. I said, Granddad, these doors don't need no handle. These doors don't need a push or pull sign. If you want these doors to open, this is all you got to do. When I walked to the doors, the doors opened, uh, and it was a practical lesson not only to my grandfather, but I believe it's to somebody in Greater Lausanne today. What if I told you uh, that while you're sitting there expecting handles on the door and expecting push or pull signs, God is saying these doors don't open uh, because of handles. These doors open uh, when you have the faith enough to just walk. And sometimes when we experience that, it retrains our mind to know, God, uh, I don't have to wait on you to move. But when I move, you move just like that. He says he makes it. They walks in, but also he tells us that notice what he says. The reason that they're dealing with this mentality is because they are wrestling with shame. Notice how Joshua explains it. That they got this shame that they can't release. Shame from their time in Egypt. Now here's the problem with this is that by the time we get to them in Joshua, according to what happened to them while they were in the wilderness, and God's anger against them because of their disbelief based upon the report of ten spies, God told them, none of y'all are going to go but Joshua and Caleb. So by the time we get to Joshua 5, the only people who've ever experienced Egypt was Joshua and Caleb. So the issue is, why are these other people who had not been in Egypt wrestling and encumbered with a shame from a place they never experienced themselves? Well, I want to offer this thought today that maybe the reason they wrestled with shame from an Egyptian experience they never had themselves is because this shame was passed down from those who were above them. In other words... The older generation that was in the wilderness, that never saw the promised land, was spending a lot of time bringing shame to their lineage and legacy and reminding their kids that they were slaves in Egypt. I want to tell you why that's problematic because I think we see that even paramount today. We got a lot of people who love to pass down Egyptian shame. That's why we're struggling as a community in our, in our places of, of, of where we habitat and where we are. We'll, we'll pass stuff down. We'll tell our young men that they'll be nothing. We'll tell our young ladies that they are simply in a cycle of, of stuff that's not really about them. I wonder how many of us have spoken damnation and shame on the next generation. My brothers and sisters, that is the plight that we're living in. Because if we're not careful, we'll pass down shame instead of reminding them that you are kings and you're queens. One of the challenges we wrestle with, even in the context of church, and we're trying to figure out how we can build up the next generation, we're wondering why 
this generation doesn't want to be a part of church, has nothing to do with the church. Maybe it's because we have not done enough job of trying to give them positive reinforcement in the church. It's a shame when the streets have more credibility than the saints. It's a shame when we do not do what we're supposed to do to make sure that they know that they are wonderfully and fearfully made. And that falls on us. That falls on us knowing their language and speaking what speaks to them. It, it goes to us understanding that empowerment is bigger than you slapping them upside the head with a scripture, but learning to walk life alongside with them. That is the challenge here. These people are wrestling with shame they never had to experience themselves. But I hear what you're saying. I hear you. I understand. I, I know the folly. I, I've been there. I've, I've heard the conversations. I've I've seen the arguments, but I believe that one of the reasons why we struggle reaching the next generation and empowering them is because we have our own issues that we're wrestling with, our own shame, our own inferiority complex that oftentimes plagues our own minds. When we don't feel we're good enough, then you can't tell someone else they're good enough. And my brothers and sisters, that's the challenge of the text, and that's the challenge of our lives. If the truth be told, that's what happens. That's why many times we get caught in a rut, why we can't grow and expand because we can't get beyond our own dysfunction. Because we look for validation in everything, in cars, cash, and clothes. And when that becomes the source of your validation, you will always be stuck in a state of dysfunction. You'll always have shame if it's based upon what kind of car you drive. It'll always have shame if it's based upon what kind of clothes you have because those things are fleeting. Then what do I do to affirm who I am? That reminds me, not too long ago, a friend of mine was traveling with his wife and they were traveling. This was pre-COVID. So that's when the airports, airports were still pretty full and people were traveling about themselves. There he was traveling with his wife. He got through TSA. And she got stuck in TSA. She got stuck because even though they both had tickets that were purchased, she had somehow forgotten where she put her ID. That's problematic. If you know anything about traveling, you can have a ticket, but if you don't have your ID, you're stuck where you are. TSA person was trying to help her out. They were looking through everything, her, her jacket, her clothes, bag. So all of a sudden, she got a smile on her face. She pulled out her briefcase, and in her briefcase, she had her Bible. My homeboy said he looked at it and said, baby, this ain't time to have Bible study. And she said, baby, I get sometimes, I get a little forgetful. She opened up her Bible, and right there in her Bible was her ID. And literally what she explained to those around, she says, I might forget a whole lot of stuff, but as long as I got my ID in my Bible, I will always know where it is. Lean in. Let me help you. Because I believe there's some people right now that you've been looking for validation in all the places that are not going to be the places that's going to give you value. But if you keep your value, your ID in the Word of God, it will confirm who you are no matter what you're going through. That's why I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. It tells me I'm the head and not the tail. It tells me I'm the lender and not the borrow. You must understand that our strength, our validation is in the word of God. It positions us in his presence. It purges us from our perception. But then also, here's the third thing 
it prepares us to prosper. I love this because notice how the trajectory of this text moves. That this change happens with my relationship with God. This change happens with how I control my mind. But then this change also happens based upon what I desire to feed my appetite. It's right there. The text tells us they find themselves right there camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho where they celebrate the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. This is crucial because this sets the trajectory of how God wants the people to remember him. Remember, this notion of Passover is interesting. This is actually the third time this has happened in their history. First time is when they were leaving out of Egypt. You remember that moment of Passover and what it represents? Where they slit the throat of that slain lamb, put the blood over the door so that the deaf angel could pass over. That was the first time they experienced it. Second time they had Passover in their history was at the at the foot of Mount Sinai while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, then is when they experience this notion of the Passover. But now, as they were getting ready to pass through the Jericho wall, God says, while you're in the valley of Gilgal, have Passover. Why is that significant? Well, Passover, once again, represents God's deliverance. It represents what could have happened but didn't happen because the angel passed over. And the reason it passed over is because they were covered in the blood. I'm here to tell you that literally what we see here is God giving them a visual reminder of that I'm not just a God that helps you when you come out. I'm not just a God that helps you while you're in it, but I'm also a God that while you are on the press, on the cusp, and you're getting ready to move into that next place, I'm also a God that will keep you covered. That's why some of us can still shout in a pandemic. You can still shout with social unrest. You can still shout even when things may not be going the way you want it to go. Why? Because just like the nation of Israel found out, they've been covered. And when you've been covered by the blood, you know that everything is is going to work out all right. Sodom was covered. But then notice what he then says, that after they had the Passover, the text then transitions and says, the very next day, they began to eat of the unleavened bread, unleavened grain, unleavened things that were there in the land. And verse 12 says, no more manna. From that day on, would they ever have to eat. From this moment forward, they would eat the produce of the promised land. That thing blessed me. Because you got to understand, verse 12 tells us that there was no more manna. Manna was wilderness food. Manna kept them in the wilderness. Manna was what God graced them with. But now they're in the promised land. And God said, no more manna. Y'all will eat the, the produce from the promised land. And that thing blessed me. Because what we began to see that for over 40-some years, they had a diet of manna, manna was what is this? Manna was God's grace and blessing to them. But now they're not in the wilderness. And God understood, I don't need you eating wilderness food as you're navigating the promised land. But I need you to mature your appetite because what I have for you now is greater than what you had before. I need someone to catch this. It's not that manna was bad. 
It's simply that God said, now where I have you, manna will not be sufficient. This is the challenge as I leave you, great Lausanne. I want you to know that God is trying to change your appetite. He wants to change what you desire after. And here's the problem. Too many of us refuse to move forward because you can't let manna go. But when you know what God has in store for you, you can appreciate what you have. But you can also let it go because you know what God has before me is greater than what I've experienced before. In other words, what God was saying was that I don't need you getting hooked on wilderness food because you're no longer in the wilderness. I need you to make sure that you can appreciate where you are now. It's not to the detriment of manna, but manna was for a season. I'm trying to get you ready for what you can experience in your next level. Maybe that's a word for this church today and for the kingdom of God is that we've got to understand that God is maturing us beyond the wilderness. That everything that we've experienced, God was getting us ready to manage the produce in the promised land. Reminds me, when I was growing up in Greensboro, North Carolina, i never forget, oftentimes I would come home and after a long day of practice, as soon as my, my feet and my my body hit the door, I could smell that grandma was cooking something. My grandmother loved to cook, but one thing she really enjoyed doing was baking cakes. Matter of fact, her pound cake is legendary in my mind. And never get one day after practice, I came home and I smelled that pound cake. And as soon as I got in there, I could smell it, just came out of practice. And I know I hadn't eaten dinner, but that cake smelled so good. As I walked into the kitchen, I said, Grandma, I'm hungry. Can I get some of this pound cake? She said, Charlie, the pound cake is not ready. I said, Grandma, that, that ain't what I come to hear. I'm, I'm hungry. I smell it. Can I get me some pound cake? My grandmother said, it's not ready. She proved the point by opening the oven, putting a toothpick in the pound cake, pulling it out. And I could tell that it had not yet been baked. But as a precocious young man, I noticed that Grandma's mixing bowl was on the kitchen counter. And I knew the cake wasn't ready, but I was smart enough to know that whatever she had made in the cake had come from the mixing bowl. And I was hungry as I could be, and I understood that even though the cake is not ready, if I could just put my finger in the mixing bowl, whatever little bit I could get then could satisfy me. Lean in. That's my simple final word for you today, is that's what happened to the children of Israel, is that God says, I want these tidbits. I want this produce in the promised land to be enough to satisfy you before the rest of the blessing is ready. And at some point, you and I got to learn how to dip our finger in the mixing bowl of God and say, God, I'm grateful because this bit is able to hold me over and give me what I need in order to satisfy what's about to take place in my life. That's my word to you is I need you to know is that God's ready for you to prosper. And when you know that God's ready for you to prosper you thank God for the little stuff that God is doing now because it's setting the stage for what he wants to bring to you in the next place God says that I know that what was before was great but I have something even greater I have something that's even better than what you've experienced before and so when you get yourself together you're ready to prosper where you are that's the word for us today so God tells us at the end of the day that sometimes we have to change. But it's not always easy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But in the changing of what we must endure and go through, 
It's in order to set us up for the blessing that God has for us. After 128 years, greater little Zion, I want you to know that God has better in store for you. I know it's rough as we're still in the midst of so much uncertainty. And I know that it can be hard and difficult, but I still believe in the promises of God. They are, as scripture says, yea and amen. The nation of Israel had to endure captivity. It had to endure wandering in the wilderness. All kind of moments of uncertainty, crossing the Jordan River during high flood season. They even had to face a wall around the city of Jericho. But every obstacle, every moment, every season of struggle, God showed his faithfulness to them. God kept them even when they couldn't keep themselves. And maybe that's the main reason why we ought to be willing to change and be transformed. Because it, in essence, shows our response to a God that's never left us nor forsaken us. One of the things that I think that has dominated my thought doing so much of what we're enduring right now is God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. At the end of the day, here is the promise that God provides for you and I. I got you. I got something in store for you. And the children of Israel realized this. Because no matter what they experienced, the promised land was still theirs. I wish I could tell you when we're going to get through this. I don't know the definitive date, but I do know we will. Great little Zion, I know next year you're going to have another anniversary. The year after that, God is going to continue to blow your mind. God's going to continue to use Dr. Murphy to do some incredible work. Do not allow the shifting of seasons make us lose our grip to God's unchanging hands. At the end of the day, God's power, God's purpose, and God's promise is still the same. What we must do is make sure that we get in, in the proper place that we need to be. Let us control what we can control. I can control my closeness to God by making sure I get rid of anything that's hindering that relationship. I can make sure that I get my mind right. No matter what I'm facing, I don't allow dissension, discouragement, to overwhelm the fact that God is still in control. And yes, the reason I know it's going to happen is because just like the children of Israel, I've been covered. And that in itself is enough for us to understand how God works in our lives. My prayer for you, greater little Zion, is that you continue to stay faithful. Continue to trust in God. Always see that God will do what God said he will. Let us pray. God, we thank you and I bless you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this pastor. I thank you for this year of celebration. And God, my prayer is that you will continue to hold them in the power of your hand. Because God, we know that we're in the midst of so much going on. Not to even mention the political stuff that's going to dominate over the next few weeks. But God, I'm grateful that you're a God that doesn't have to worry about tenure and partisanship. You're a sovereign God. 
So bless this wonderful branch of Zion, I pray that you once again bless the greater little Zion Baptist Church. Bless their pastor. I thank you for his wisdom and insight. I thank you for his friendship and I thank you, God, for him still standing on the wall even in these perilous times telling the world about us, Savior, by the name of Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you will continually use this body of believers as a shining example of your power and of your work. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. God bless you and congratulations once again. As we gather around the table of our Lord, again, we invite you to make sure you bring your elements with you. We consider that Thursday evening in which our Lord gathered with his disciples and they were there in that upper room. and He began to share with them how the journey would go from that day forward. And then in that moment, the Bible says he took bread and he looked into heaven and gave thanks for it. And then he gave it to his disciples as they did eat together. Let us eat together in this virtual moment. Likewise, it says that he took that cup, looked unto heaven, and then he reminded the disciples that in that cup was his New Testament, was the New Testament in which his blood would be shed and that he would not drink again anew until he enters into his father's kingdom. So he looked unto heaven and gave thanks, and then he gave it to his disciples. As they drink together, let us drink together. And when they had finished, they sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's leave this place, this virtual space, rejoicing as we've had a chance to listen to the preach word as well as to share in this special moment of Holy Communion. We pray that God will continue to bless your life and that God will continue to use you for his glory. And I want to encourage you to look unto the hills from which comes your help and always know that the best is yet to come. I love you, we love you, and thank God he loves you always, in Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful experience we've had the last several days, two nights of revival, preaching of the Reverend Dr. Marcus D. Cosby, and now on Zion Day, listening to the wonderful preaching of Dr. Charles Goodman, the great singing we've enjoyed. Our gratitude is expressed to each of you, Zion, for being a part of this experience. Those of you who are friends as well, thank you for tuning in and making this a virtual celebration the way it is. 
We look forward to how this revival is going to bless us as a church and move us forward in Jesus' name. Now let us close with benediction. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne. He is indeed the all-wise and eternal God. He will be that henceforth and forevermore. Amen and amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Church.